12 and 13 year olds. The lovely Naomi is looking after you. Give us a wave, Naomi, so they can follow the shepherd. Thank you. That's good. How are we all going? A few of us are good. The others are kept quiet or honest. That's all right. We'll see if we can change that by the end of my message. You might be really bad by the time I finish this. All righty. Would you turn with me to Luke chapter 8? I'm sure many of us would uh, have heard or read this passage of scripture, Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 4, going to 15, and it's the parable of a sower. And when a great multitude had gathered and they came to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked. But others fell on the good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word of the hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. These have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and the life that it brings, the, the knowledge and the wisdom that it brings, Lord. And I pray that this morning that... Uh, we would be like Jesus said, that as we hear the word, we would have a noble and good heart. We'd keep it and bear fruit with patience. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you'll speak to each and every one of us this morning. As you know how we need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Who loves the beach? Yep, a few of us. I, love, I like going to the beach. And uh, I like swimming and doing all that sort of stuff. And... Uh, I've had the uh, privilege over the years we've been in Gladstone to go to Heron Island a couple of times. And I think it's about four times, five, might be five, is it? Anyway, whatever. And it's, if you've never been there, if you can rob a bank so you can afford to go there, um, it's a great place. And it's an amazing little island. It's only 800 metres long, I think it is, and about 200 wide, so it's... You know, it's not real big and you can sit on the beach and you look over, there's islands over that way, you can see in the distance and there's high tides, you can see turtles and sharks and 
stingrays all over the place and uh, it's really great just being on that beach. Wear, wear footwear because it's coral, it's not sand, bare feet, it rips them apart. But it's all right. But at high tide you can just walk off the beach and go snorkeling. Or you can, no, hang on, I've jumped a spot. One, one year we were there, or two we had, we had the use of a, you know, they stand up paddleboard things, ridiculous things, <laughs> and a kayak and that. And I was on this, first time I've been on one of these silly paddleboard things and I'm going along and, you know, you see the little seaplane that comes in and out, that's going to Heron Island. And for some unknown reason, the goose that was driving the plane's following me up the beach. I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. I can't operate this thing. You know what you're doing, Nick, off. But he insisted following me, so I think I just ended up falling off and walking to the beach. So there was fun on the top of the water and splashing around in the water as you do when you're at the beach. And then we've had the opportunity, as I've said, you can just go off, off high tide, you can just straight into the water with a snorkel and goggles and see some great stuff. And there's an old wreck, you probably, most of us have seen pictures, there's an old wreck just near the, that's like a, you know, a fish tank thing. You just go in there and it's just like being in a fish tank. And I think it was the last time we were there, we had the, the opportunity to go out to what they call the Heron Bommy. Now Bommy's just a, big structure of coral, quite impressive. And I can remember we, uh, we pulled up in the boat, there was a whole heap of snorkelers and people doing diving. And so the bombies over there, we jumped off that side, I swam around, the current was going that way, so I was one of the first. So I just sort of laid there with the current and let it just take me over this bombie and it was pretty impressive. All the different sea life and fish and everything. And when I turned around, the divers had got themselves into action and I think the light must have been coming from a different angle and it just changed the whole thing and I can see divers going way down because it's quite, quite deep there and it was just a, an amazing view. But you know, that was all there even while I was on the beach. But I had to go deeper, I had to get into it to see that for myself. And the Word of God is exactly the same. I've read the Word of God there this morning. We're sitting on the beach. I want us to get off the beach. At least get in the water. What I'd really like us to encourage us and to challenge us to even get snorkeling because it's so much richer when you do. The whole scene there at Heron Island is so much richer when you can see underwater and see all, the, all the, the, the marine life. And we had breakfast one morning with a young lady who's from the United States who was, uh, she dives, you know, with the tanks and everything. She's all over the world, Bahamas, Greek islands and all that sort of thing. And we said, so what's, what's the difference between, you know, snorkeling and going, you know, down deep? And she said, oh, there's different types of coral, the, the marine life's different. It's all different again to what you see just on the surface of the water. And that's the same with scripture. So, let's put our spiritual swimming gear on and get into it, will we? All those in favour? That's enough. Okay. Numbers chapter 26 
God has instructed Moses to take a census of all the Israelites 20 years and up. And then it goes on all the names and all the names and who they begot and everything else. And in uh, verse uh, 33, Now Zelophad, the son of Hepher, had no sons but daughters. And the names of the daughters of Zelophad were Mala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Terza. And I've probably mispronounced each one of those. Keep those names just near the front of your brain, but not right at the front. Jump across to 2651. These are those who were numbered of the children of Israel, 601,730. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, To these the land shall be divided as an inheritance according to the names of number of names. To a large tribe you shall give a larger inheritance, and to a small tribe you shall give a smaller inheritance. Each shall be given as its inheritance according to those who were numbered of them. But the land shall be divided by lot. They shall inherit according to their names of the tribes of the fathers. According to the lot, their inheritance shall be divided between the larger and the smaller. So in other words, God gave Moses the instructions on how to divvy up the land, okay? We jump into chapter 27. And these ladies that I spoke their names so badly came before Moses and said, hey, we don't have a father. We're, we're just on our own. We're, we're females. And they stood before Moses, before Eleazar, the priest, and before the leaders and all the congregation and said, our father died in the wilderness, but he was not in the company of those who gathered together against the Lord in company with Korah. But he died in his own sin and he had his son, had no sons. Why should the name of our father be removed from among his family because he had no sons? Give us a possession among our father's brothers. So Moses brought the case before the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, The daughters of Zelophehad, speak what is right. You shall surely give them a possession of inheritance among their father's brothers and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. Solomon in 2 Chronicles, the first chapter. He goes to the tabernacle and offers a thousand burnt offerings on it to the Lord. And as he's praying, the Lord appears and says, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon replies, You have shown great mercy to David, my father, and have made me king in this place, in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David, my father, be established, for you have made me king over people like the dust of the earth in multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for you can judge this great people of yours. Jesus in Matthew 14. I am going somewhere with this, just in case you're wondering. Most of us have read this passage too about the feeding of the 5,000. But just recently I got a... Probably if we read from John 14, it's in John 14, I'm using 1 to 12, is about John the Baptist being beheaded. Now I've never connected the two together. But I put on an air tank and I went diving. You see, they, they are connected. 
Well, according to one writer, I should, I should say that. Because John is Jesus' cousin, that correct? So there's been this drunken party, an idiot, mad king makes a wild statement to his stepdaughter, I think it was, and so she comes back and says, I want the head of John the Baptist. So, yeah, why not? Give us John the Baptist's head. And out it came. And at the end of that it says, Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Straight away in verse 13, When Jesus heard, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. So I'm guessing there's not a real big time difference between the first 12 verses and verse 13. So I would imagine that Jesus would be slightly upset and in, in grieving. Would you agree? So he's gone out and the crowd have chased him because they know that this is Jesus' cousin. They also know that Jesus is like the unofficial leader of the rebels in Israel and he's going to take over the kingdom and he's going to do all sorts of things. So all these people have gone out to see what's Jesus going to do here. You know, we're, they're starting to sharpen up the swords and the pickaxes and the, everything else though because they, you know, the, the normal leader of a rebellious lot would be, let's storm the castle. But what does Jesus do? He sees them and he sees compassion. He throws another sort of party. He throws a party of love. The great shepherd looking after his sheep. So what's the common thread here? Well, number one, they were in the presence of God. Both Moses and Solomon were in the tabernacle. So they're in the presence of God. And that old, most, I'm sure most of us know in the Old Testament that's where God was. He wasn't everywhere else. Well, well I should say that's where he met with the people in the tabernacle. And Jesus, after he'd heard the news about his cousin, had gone into the wilderness to be with God the Father, as he often did. The second thing is we see a display of God's wisdom. These three men use God's wisdom. Actually, I reckon those uh, young ladies back in uh, Numbers 27 were pretty smart too. Because unlike many today who demand their rights and we've been hard done by, you know, we're women, why can't we have some land as well? No, they went in and said, hey, listen, you know, our dad, he was, he was on the good side. So he got wiped out with all the ones who were on the bad side. And is it really fair that, you know, we should miss out because, you know, he was good? And what did Moses do? What did he do? He sought the Lord, didn't he? There's a bit of wisdom. He sought the Lord and the Lord spoke to Moses and said, hey, yeah, now this is how we're going to do it. And these ladies got their inheritance and everything was good, worked out well. King Solomon. God said, what do you want? 
he could have had anything. He could have had whatever he wanted. And he said, I want wisdom and knowledge. Probably the other way around, is it? Knowledge and wisdom. And because of that, God blessed him. Even outside the Christian world, King Solomon is regarded as the wisest and richest man that ever lived. True? You can read that anywhere. Jesus could have taken up arms, stormed the palace. He probably would have had enough to do it with. He could have called down angels from heaven, just blown the palace off the face of the earth and all that was in it. But no, with God's wisdom, he showed the true good shepherd of God, the nature of God, using wisdom. 1 Corinthians 25 says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. James chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, I'm reading from the Message Bible, is real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterised by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and, and honour. What a difference between the kingdom of Herod and the kingdom of God. Gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. It's interesting when you look at the the, the Israelites, as they come out of Egypt, their journey, when they would seek the Lord, shall we go to battle? Shall we do this? Shall we do that? And the God would say, yes, go into battle. They would have victory. No, don't go into battle. So they wouldn't. But when they disobeyed God and made decisions on their own, it really didn't go well, did it? They lost battles. They were swallowed by the ground. They were burnt. There were plagues. All sorts of things happened when they decided to use their own wisdom and not God's. Has anyone ever made a bad decision in life? And before you uh, embarrass yourself and say no, the answer is yes. Okay, we got that established. So can... We have the same wisdom as Moses, Solomon and Jesus. I would be so bold as to say yes. Can we as individuals in Gladstone in 2019 tap into what these three and I might many others throughout history have to be wise in what we do, how we act and speak? Like Moses, Solomon and Jesus... We must position ourselves. You know the old real estate thing: position, position, position. You know the the worst, no, 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 yeah, the worst house in the best street, and all that real estate jargon. Well, we need to do the same. But thankfully, today we don't have to go to a special temple or church or some place like Moses and Solomon had to to be in God's presence. Through what Christ did on the cross, God has come to us. 
We all know the Christmas time, Emmanuel, God with us. John 16, verses 7 and 13 and 15. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. This is Jesus speaking. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has a mind, therefore I say that he will take of mine and declare it to you. That gives me the impression that the Holy Spirit wants to declare things to us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? God is right with us through the Holy Spirit who lives within us as we are believers. How awesome is that? It just staggers me to think when we think of a God who can create a universe is sitting in this body, sitting in your body if you're a believer. It's his spirit that has made our dead spirit that was dead in sin is now alive. We are now alive in Christ. As believers in Christ, we need God's wisdom to walk through this life that we walk through. Galatians 5, 16 to 18 says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so so you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. It's kind of interesting when you read about that passage just there or you read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is mainly sayings by the wisest man that's ever lived, Solomon. There's a few others thrown in there, I believe. But when you read all this stuff in the Word of God about how we live and how to, how to be wise, that's so practical. It's not airy-fairy, do-do-do-do sort of stuff. That's very practical. As I said, Proverbs is mainly written by the wisest man that's ever lived. Maybe that's worth reading. Would you think? There's 31 chapters. So in a week, if you read it in a week, that would work out to roughly 4.42857142.86 chapters in the week, a day. You got that? I'm not sure what you're going to do with the other point, whatever that works out to be. Most months are about 30 or 31 days, except for that difficult one in February. You could read one a day for a month. All very practical to how to be wise about how we live our lives. Hello, what have I done here? Oh no, that is different. Further down in Galatians 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. We like that bit. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. There is a thing in the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount. Have we heard of that? Matthew chapters 5, 6 and 7. That is Jesus' teaching. Very practical about how we live wisely in our life. Do we read this stuff? Or do we rely on the bloke up or the woman up the front and what they say on a Sunday morning and hope he's right or she's right? Do we even check up? I'd advise you to check up what I say. I get a bit worried about what I say myself. We need to read the word of the God. The word of the God? Word of God. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> Time for a drink of water. But just reading it as sitting on the beach. It's all good. And you can learn from it. But you're still on the beach. Why not jump into the water? We need to study the word of God as in, what's it saying to me? How can I apply this to my daily life, what I've just read? That's getting out, falling off the silly board thing and having a splash around in the surf, body surfing. Who likes body surfing? I love that. A couple of us, good. That's, that's good fun. We need to be reading or listening to those reliable theologians who have studied the word of God for many years who give us an even deeper understanding of God's word. This is to complement, not take over, but it's to complement the word of God. Where did I get that idea about everyone looking at Jesus after John the Baptist had been beheaded? I didn't read it in there. I read it in a book. Do you... Young people know what a book is? It's sort of like it's got paper. They're really good. And if you buy a good one, they're excellent. Their batteries don't go flat. People don't message you or whatever you do, Twitter or whatever, while you're trying to read it. You can just read it. The only trouble I have is I have a grandson who likes to grab my books and tip them up like that and lose my bookmark. But that's okay. I read a, a guy by the, the book was The Good Shepherd by Kenneth Bailey. You can use your phones, young people. Put that on your phone, Kenneth Bailey. Oh, they're all pretending they don't play with their phones in church. Come on, you guys. You older people might like to do that too. In, in my very humble opinion, he's one of them, the best knowledgeable theologians, that's just a big word for someone who studies God, in the, I would say the Western world, because I don't know too many from the Eastern or other parts of the world. Western world, I mean Europe, America, Australia, New Zealand, I think that's about the Western world, isn't it? My apologies if you're somewhere else in the Western world and I didn't mention you. Because this guy lived, taught the Bible, learnt the Bible in the Middle East. He's an American. He passed away a couple of years ago. And his books are just so fascinating. You've got to put your air tank on. You, 
unless you can hold your breath for a long time with a snorkel. And he just brings out a whole new depth of the scriptures. He's, who's heard of the, um, what are they called? Uh, Ara- Aramaic Bible? One, two, three. How many is here? 150. The Syriac Bible? Oh, good man. We've got one, two of us, three of us. Oh, I knew you would. <laughs> you probably know a whole heap of others that I'm not even going to mention. <laughs> These are written by the people not long after Jesus walked on the earth. By the people of the Middle East, not by people in America with a European mindset. And he knows all this stuff. Next time it's your birthday, young people, instead of getting a $300 outfit, divide that by 30 because that's about how much a good book costs. Buy some good books on theology. Your jeans and your tops are going to wear out. Your good book on theology is not. Okay, e-books, I know you're into all that. They're actually a lot cheaper, aren't they? Oh, they wouldn't know because they've never looked up a book. Have you? Who's ever looked up a book to buy a book? No, no, not... Oh, yeah, you can do. No, you're too old. <laughs> Un- under, under 20, who's, who's looked up to buy a book, a real book? One... Two, yeah, good on you. Oops, I missed the hand over there, I think. That's three. Get e-books. Just go on Google. You know, we, we, the internet has got tons of rubbish on it. But it's also got a whole heap of fascinating Christian stuff that is free. That get your attention? Oh, I thought it would have. It's free. Where was I? Talking about free stuff. Yeah, we, we had this discussion on Friday night at our men's coffee club. Men, Friday night, 4pm at Kirkwood Maccas. Come along, we talk all sorts of gibberish and sometimes we actually talk sensible stuff, which we did for a change on Friday night. Some of them didn't even know they should have went home, but they just stayed there to all hours. But the discussion, part of it revolved around that you know, we, we read the Word of God, but there's so many people don't go any further than just reading that. And there's so much information, as I said, you can get for free. You know, the, the old, you talk about, I don't know, I, I should have got Adrian out here to tell us all the names. You know, saints that were around in, you know, uh, um, two centuries after, after Jesus, their writings, apparently you can just Google their names and, you can download it for nothing and get the insight into Scripture. It's just too easy. There's way more information today than we've ever had in the entire history of the world that we can have. It's worth investing in. Don't rely on the celebrities and their Twitters and whatever they do. They put two lines up about something. Ooh, that was great. I read, read an article the other day about how much emphasis we put on sports people and celebrities. And, and it said, you know, I've needed a doctor, I've needed a plumber, I've needed an electrician, I've needed a teacher, 
I've never needed a sports person or a celebrity. And yet we say, we, a celebrity says something and we go, oh, that must be right. No. Stop watching the guys on TV that say, they send me $100 and I'll pray for you and you'll get that new car by next Wednesday. That is just so much rubbish. He'll probably have a new car by Wednesday. I shouldn't talk badly of other saints, should I? But that's not what we need to feed ourselves with. If you want to do, watch it once a week or something or once a 50 years or something, but you need to see stuff that's going to help you grow. And to get your e-books or whatever, that's way more interesting. So why do I want us to do that? Why do I want to challenge you this morning to put on your goggle or snorkel or put on your air tank and go deeper into the Word of God? Why would I want to do that? Oh, because we need a few more people to help out in church. That was a joke. Obviously, it wasn't a very good one. <laughs> we do, but that's not the reason I'm bringing this message. How about I let Jesus answer the, that question? From Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavour, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That is why. So wherever we are, we will have not only the knowledge, but the wisdom of how to use that knowledge of God. Some of us are called to be salt and light by speaking, some by our actions and some are good at both. But no matter our gifting or our personality, it won't go well without God's wisdom. I've seen people have a bucket load of God's knowledge and they've just wrecked things because they haven't got wisdom. I'm sure you've all heard that little saying, knowledge is knowing what to say, wisdom is knowing when to say it. Can I add there, knowledge is knowing when to act, wisdom is knowing... No, knowledge, yeah, you know what I mean. You know, there was a, apparently on the weekend, you know Eddie Maguire, most of us, if you watch that, Millionaire show, you would have seen Eddie Maguire. He's the head of, he's the president or something of the Collingwood Football Club and all that in Melbourne. He's a big wig celebrity. And they had a lady at the beginning of an AFL game, they quite often have someone from the crowd toss the coin to see who's going to kick, you know, which way first. So this poor lady, I think she was a double amputee or something. She'd had some horrific accident, or I've, I'm not, I didn't sort of see it all. And when she flipped the coin, it sort of went, wasn't a very good one. And Eddie said, oh, you know, I reckon if, if people can't flip a coin properly, they shouldn't be allowed to do it or something to that effect. Well, that could be right. 
But it just wasn't the time to say it on national TV. <laughs> if it had been a big, burly bloke like me, you know, and flicked it down there, well, uh, maybe so. But not a lady who has had a horrific incident. And so he got kicked off the... <laughs> He's not commentating at the moment, apparently. All right to have knowledge, but we need to know that's what God wisdom does. It helps us when to apply it at the right time. Can I have the music team come back up, please? Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Just a reminder again that this is Solomon speaking and Solomon is the most wise man that's ever lived. So as I say, I think it might be worth listening to what he has to write or read what he has to write. This is from the Message Bible. These are the wise sayings of Solomon, David's son, Israel's king, written down so you will know how to live well and right, to understand what life means and where it's going. A manual for living, for learning what's right and just and fair. To teach the inexperienced the ropes and give our young people a grasp on reality. There's something here also for the seasoned men and women, so we're all covered. Still a thing or two for the experienced to learn. Fresh wisdom to probe and penetrate the rhymes and reasons of wise men and women. Start with God. The first step in learning is bowing down to God. Only fools thumb their noses at such wisdom and learning. Luke 8. Now this is the parable. The seed is the word of God. Verse 8 says, But the ones that fell on the ground, that's the seed, fell on the ground are those who having the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience. The challenge this week, church, is for us to get off the beach. At least go for a swim. Maybe challenge yourself to go for a snorkel or get on the internet and put your air tanks on or buy a good book. That'll help us fulfil Proverbs 1, 1 to 7. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. And Father, we just so thank you that there's just so much depth in your word. We're all different. We're all at different places in our the time we've been in your in your family. Some know have a lot of knowledge. Some have a lot have a lot of wisdom. I pray as a as a as a group together as a family. As individuals starting, starting as individuals, that we would look deeper into your word. We would get a greater understanding. And that we would have the wisdom to use that knowledge correctly.
for the glory of your name. And we give you all the honor and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's finish with a bit of worship.